Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus. Cool. Well, for those of you who've been tracking uh, with us um, through the online services, you're aware that we've been uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at uh, this salutations where we started our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, and, and really sort of placing the whole thing of prayer in the context of understanding it as a family meeting, a family gathering where our Father is in the house, and we are all His kids. He's like the head shepherd, and we're all carrying out that family business of seeing that His work is done in the world, and also experiencing uh, a God who is not a CEO, but a God who is uh, sort of a corporate leader of the business of our family, but also this incredible, uh, intimate, loving, caring person who has a heart for us and loves us uh, really deeply. Um, when we get to the part of praying, your will be done um, on earth as it is in heaven, uh, there's, uh, you know, looking at the various rungs of prayer, uh, when we get to that one, I think that's actually one that we can really understand well as dads, one we can really understand as men. Uh, I mean, there's nothing more that warms my heart as a dad when my will is done under my roof just as it is in my noggin. Uh, you really want uh, the stuff that you want done as a dad to happen in your family in a joyful way, in a timely way. And, uh, and, and I think that's sort of the heart of God for us as well. Uh, we can connect with this, right? When you are trying to uh, be a dad, part of that role, part of that job is to take your kids and to train them and equip them, equip them. And usually that involves things like clear your plate after the table, after you're done at the table. Uh, usually it means something like, you know what? Uh, wiping the sink and wiping the counters is part of doing the dishes. Uh, it's the garbage needs to go out before uh, the garbage truck comes. Uh, you know, that's, that's usually the level of training and equipping that we do as dads. Um, and so you know what it's like when you're trying to do that. You're trying to remind them a hundred times uh, to get them to that place where they'll do it in a timely fashion. You've got to show them a bunch of times so that they can do it uh, and understand their tasks with clarity. And then it's a journey after that to get them to do those jobs uh, with any kind of joy, with any kind of a good attitude, right? That's, uh, that's part of the struggle of parenting. So we can connect with that. And, and I remember that like, like it was yesterday with my kids. I remember that first faithful, amazing day when I saw the garbage can go down my driveway without me having said anything at all. Like as a dad, that's a big moment, isn't it? Like I remember hearing my son yell up the stairs, I love you, dad. Like, whoa. And I hear the garage door open, I'm like, no. It can't be. And I hear the garbage can scraping its way down the driveway, rattling across the gravel. And I see it going down the road. And my son, at the end of the driveway, wave at the house and get ready to get on the bus. It was like, I mean, I felt this wet thing coming at the corner of my eyes and rolling down my cheeks. And my heart was touched. I believe the Holy Spirit came in the room. The glory of God was there and angels, they were singing. It was, it was a, a moment of fulfillment and a moment of joy as a dad. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Actually, I don't know if that ever happened. Uh, but, <laughs> um, 
But that's what you long for as a dad, right? You want those things. That, it did happen. My boys are great boys. Um, but that's what you long for as a dad, right? Uh, this, these transcendent moments. And so this next rung on the trellis has us praying, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm just having a hard time juggling all this stuff here. Um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, really wanting that will to be carried out, really wanting that to be happening. And I think, isn't that exactly what the Father wants from us? He really wants that moment where we are instinctively doing the thing that he's calling us to do in a way without him having asked because it's flowing out of our hearts and doing it with a good and a joyful heart. So that phrase, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, leads us to this question, like how is God's will done in heaven? How's God's will done in heaven? What does that mean? And, and as I was pondering that and thinking about it, sort of three things uh, came to mind. Uh, the first thing is, I think uh, God's will is done in heaven and understood in heaven with clarity. God's will is clear in heaven. There's not a lot of confusion about it in heaven. Uh, it's also done with immediacy. Uh, when God uh, speaks something, I think the angels jump and they make it happen. It, it, it goes down like that. And of course, the other thing is that it, it, I think it happens worshipfully. And I think when we look at those things, we see uh, how we actually as people want to live in the presence of our Father. So the first one, clarity. Uh, I, I think we're often drawn to, drawn to prayer in moments of confusion. We're often drawn to prayer in moments of not knowing what's going on, not knowing what we're called to do, not knowing how to answer uh, the call of God in our lives. And when we are asking those questions, should I go on that vacation? Should I buy that house? Should I marry that person? Or should I wait uh, for the uh, person who might be more right? Uh, should I give that gift? Should I uh, do this ministry? Should I do this mission? Whatever it is that we're asking as a question uh, before the Father um, is uh, something that produces some anxiety in us because uh, clouded with those questions are all of our own desires, all of our own interior interests. How will this affect me personally? How will it affect my finances? How will it affect um, my, my future? How will it really make a difference in terms of my health? What will the unintended consequences be of this? And so we wrestle with all of that. So we come to God with this consternation and this confusion uh, in prayer. And what we're saying though, when we are saying, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that we want that gap between God's speaking and our understanding to be closed. Revelation verse 5, 11, 12 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So these angels are all gathered around the throne and they're really close. Can you imagine any of those angels saying, Hey, uh, God, can you, can you repeat that? I didn't quite hear you. Like, I know your voice is like peals of thunder and there's lightning, but the other angels, they were kind of talking in class and they were making a bit of a ruckus. And, uh, and I was kind of looking at my Snapchat and I lost focus a little. So could you just repeat the instructions for me? Right? We don't really, I don't think we're seeing that 
in heaven. We're not seeing that level of distraction. We're not seeing that level of confusion. So praying your will be done grows in us the desire uh, to hear, the desire to listen. And that actually uh, is, is what is God, I think, is really after uh, in us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, uh, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but by the renewing of your mind. Um, and that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think that's what God wants to do in us. I think he wants us to be people who, uh, as dads, as moms, as kids, hear uh, his word through the lens of a mind that is made more like his mind, through the lens of a mind that is made more clear, through the lens of a mind that has taken on the structure uh, of him. So when we look at that, we look at the scriptures, uh, we engage with the scriptures, we see his will given to us in the form of a book that is written down, and the more we engage with that and we read it and we pray on it and we ponder it deeply, it changes the way we are. That commitment to the scriptures causes us to be people who work more maybe like a satellite radio in your car that has specific frequencies tuned to connect with the satellite that's broadcasting than the way we operate most of the time, which I don't know if any of you remember old radios in cars where you had to sort of turn the dial and to get it just perfectly aligned by hand, by moving a knob, to try to get the channel that you wanted and try to get that sound to be clear. I think having minds that are constantly being renewed by the scriptures enables us to be uh, dialed in uh, to the will of God, to understanding it uh, clearly. Because I think he's broadcasting. And in all of this, for us, there's tremendous freedom, isn't it? Isn't it so much easier in life to maybe hear the will of God for you regarding various things in your life, knowing the overarching will of God for you is revealed in the scriptures, and not to every time there's a question, go to a time of shifting and shaking and shimmying and doubt and wondering, and this incredible cluster of our own wills and our own ideas uh, clouding the mix. We want to be people who hear him and hear him clearly. So his will is done in heaven and understood clearly, and I think that's what he wants for you, and I think that's what he wants for me. And then there's the question of immediacy. Um, I think the gap between when we actually gain clarity about God's will and when we execute on it is often like much longer than it ought to be, right? Sometimes I think we know what God wants for us. And there is a pretty significant gap between then and when we actually execute on it. Uh, one of the, the teachers at my school used to tell the story uh, back when I was in Bible college, used to tell the story of him as a student um, and he was one of these guys who was always kind of forgetful, uh, always kind of uh, late, or he claimed he was forgetful. He was always kind of late for classes. He was always kind of late for chapel, handing in assignments late. He was just one of these people who wasn't on top of it um, and just had a consistent pattern of that. And so when I, when I went to college, I don't think they do this to you anymore, but you would get called into the president's office for a little conversation about your character issues. Uh, which uh, I don't think they do that in schools anymore. But uh, they did that when I went to school. And so this guy got called, he got summoned into the principal's office, and he knew it was about something. 
Um, and uh, he was supposed to go after lunch at one o'clock and he's sitting there in the cafeteria line. He's telling the story. I remember watching the clock and knowing it was one o'clock and knowing that I didn't have time between one o'clock and one o'clock to get there at one o'clock. Uh, so knowing that he was gonna be late, um, but, but not really sort of admitting it to himself. And he gets up from the table and he rushes over to, grabs his Bible off the table, rushes over to the uh, cafeteria lineup, scrapes off his plate, puts the plates down, uh, and runs off to the uh, prince or to the uh, the president's office to have this conversation. And as he walks in, he's standing in front of the president's office or president's desk, and he sees this sort of scowl and this disapproving look on the president of the college, and uh, and he launches into his usual excuses. Well, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm such a forgetful person, and, and all of that. And the president just stopped him right there, and said, "Just a minute." I want you to step outside of yourself for just a second, uh, even psychologically, and just look at yourself. Just look at yourself right now in this moment. And his mind sort of caught up with the picture that he was presenting uh, to the president of the college. He is standing there with his feet evenly spaced apart, his Bible gripped in one hand with white knuckles, with a garbage can lid from the cafeteria still in his hand, gripped with white knuckles. <laughs> and the president said to him, listen, you are standing in front of me in a stance prepared for battle. You literally have a sword in one hand, the Bible, and a shield in the other. I don't see a forgetful person. I see a rebel. And that hits us. Because so often in our lives, we know the very things that God is calling us to. Maybe it's something really hard, like a call to forgive somebody who's hurt us. Maybe it is uh, to take on a mission or a ministry that we're afraid of taking on. Maybe it's uh, a giving thing. Maybe it's, uh, it could be any number of things that God might be calling us to. And we can know it deep inside. But there's something in us, just like that teacher of mine, that is saying, okay, maybe I will, maybe I'll do it, but I'm gonna do it late, and I'm gonna do it my way, because I want to show you that this is not you calling me to do this, this is my own, this is me, I'm doing it on my own terms. It's a latent rebellion that we all carry uh, inside of us that sort of tempts us and, and causes us to live in many times in opposition. To the will of God. In the scriptures, that question of immediacy uh, can be answered through any number of stories about rebellion in, in the Bible, but I think just the word for listen in the scriptures, uh, if you remember the Shema series, that word listen that we used to talk about, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That word for listen, Shema, is equally translated in the Hebrew as obey. In the Hebrew, there aren't two separate words for hear and obey. Hear means obey. To hear is to obey. If you haven't obeyed, you have not heard. And I think that's the kind of immediacy that God wants for us. As the kingdom comes, as we grow in him, we long to be people who will actually live with that sense of a heartfelt response to God that says, you have said this thing, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it. 
And for us in that, there's tremendous freedom. There's so much freedom for us in that as we grow in that, as we pray, Lord, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It takes away the guilt. It takes away the shame. It takes away that sense of opposition, that sense of rebellion, uh, all of the angst that we carry in all of that. If we reduce that time of angst, we are going to enjoy, enjoy quite a lot more freedom and joy. The third thing uh, that, uh, of course, I think we see in terms of God's will being done in heaven is it is done worshipfully. It is done with a good heart. Dads, I know how much we appreciate things being done uh, with a good heart, uh, with a good attitude. I remember as a kid, uh, I would uh, sometimes, did any of you do angry chores? Anybody ever anybody remember angry chores? Anybody ever do the, you know, slamming, throwing the garbage cans around the garage, slamming doors? I remember I used to like not doing the dishes. I used to hate doing the cutlery. My parents would want to dry it immediately. And I'm like, it will dry on its own. Like if it just stays there, oh, come on, who's feeling it? Right? Yeah, it'll dry on its own. So my thing used to be, okay, I'll take the cutlery out of the sink, I'll put it on my tea towel, and I'll just fold my tea towel over it and kind of rub it, and then put them half wet back into the drawer. Right? A little passive-aggressive, a little angry dishes, right? I'll do that kind of thing. And actually, Anna has the most notorious story of that. Right there in that garage, Anna, as a teen, was asked to move the car uh, from where it was parked, probably a similar place to uh, where that uh, Subaru is parked right there and asked to move it somewhere else. Anna did not want to move it. Um, and so she actually uh, went to the car, stomped across, took the car, put it in neutral, went around to the front of it and gave it a kick. And the car rolls down the driveway. The door flings open because she hasn't shut it. And on that tree right there by Kathy Moore Crispin, I believe, uh, that tree took the door off the car. <laughs> angry chores hey babe <laughs> right and john and kathleen remember this well right um that's not what we want <laughs> right uh i'll never forget my 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 worship prof and so i've told you some about him uh, again a, we're into the bible college stories today for some reason but um the man's named dick grout and he led this worship team and we traveled around the states with us just an incredibly humble wonderful man and I remember it was like maybe the third or fourth time uh, we've been on a trip with him. And you just watch him work. He's working with us. We're doing sound stuff. Uh, we're setting up chairs. We're folding programs. All of that kind of just hands-on work that's necessary for church. And I, and I realized about two weeks in or two trips in that he is walking in exactly the same posture, in exactly the same attitude, with exactly the same heart when he's setting up sound gear, folding programs and adjusting chairs, as he is when he sits down to the piano and touches the ivories and prays, come Lord Jesus. That all of the hard work that we're called to do, all of the simple tasks, all of the simple things of obedience that we're called to do are things that can be done in a heart of worship in a heart of praise. And that is where uh, our prayer, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is leading. You'll remember from the book of Revelation, uh, we read about the angels, and I'm just gonna continue uh, from there. Revelation chapter five, verse 11 to 14. And then I looked 
and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So these are the angels in heaven saying, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And then John hears this. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power. And the four living creatures worshiped and said, Amen. So be it. When we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heavens. We are entering that story. The story of the coming of the kingdom of God. So that God's will is known on earth as it is in heaven with clarity, with the clarity of reading the scriptures. His word becomes written on our hearts with immediacy, without any sense of rebellion, without any sense of having our own way, without any sense of needing to be at the center of our own universe. We respond with immediacy here on earth, saying, so be it. And we do all with a heart of worship, with a heart to glorify him, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all glory, all honor, all wisdom, all power. Lord, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit OV.com.